So, some of you may know, for those who don't, the ex-Deputy Prime Minister resigned this week. Actually, even at time of recording, it was actually last week. And then by the time this comes out, it'll be like a month ago. But it was an interesting hot topic that we thought we'd kind of present to you guys. For those who are UK listeners, that's Dominic Raab. For those who are US listeners, you can kind of think of it as like the, uh, I don't even know if it's as, as high as the, the vice, vice president, but like the Deputy Prime Minister. You'd be forgiven for not knowing them. But... The interesting thing is that they resigned because of accusations of bullying. So I wanted to open with a funny quote. Jacob rees Morgan. if you're not familiar with him, look him up because... He looks like the Monopoly guy. He does. He's like a Victorian sort of villain. And he said, direct quote, The civil service is a veritable blizzard of snowflakes. You can't intimidate an ambassador. If you can, the ambassador is no good. Ambassadors have to have a backbone. Is our ambassador a complete wet wipe? I love that. I, I didn't expect him to say wet wipe. Um, <laughs> the, the journalist who interviewed him as well was like floored by that. Yeah. He was like, you know, when they just like lose yeah. their cool and just kind of laugh. Yeah. I, I like as well that you said he's a Victorian villain because he's also Victorian in his, uh, in his like political and worldviews. Mm. But separate topic, separate conversation. Back on this. So the reason he says that is because one of the people who accused him of bullying was the ambassador of Gibraltar, mm-hmm. uh, which is a small British enclave at the most southern tip of Spain at the entry to the Med. So obviously strategically important part of the reason that the UK kept it. So what you may kind of have deduced from that and what we're saying is that the right-wing media has the general view that the civil servants are whining snowflakes who are generally very left-leaning, whereas the left-wing has the view that Tories encourage a toxic bullying culture. He is not the first Tory minister in the last however many years, particularly from the Johnson and recent administrations, Mm. to be accused of mistreating members of staff. So in this philosophical hot take, we'll look not just, you know, to consider what do we think the truth is, but why does this matter to our country, to workplaces? And also, I guess to some extent, how do we how do we kind of draw the line between, first of all, formal and informal? Like, you know, there's a lot of rules that we want written, but then like, if you actually lived your life according to all rules, for example, there'd probably be no jokes. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> definitely something to come up. But for now, guys, welcome to the Morality of Everyday Things. I'm Jacob. I'm Anthony. Hi. And this is, as many of you will know by now, a everyday philosophy podcast where we talk about questions of, well, questions that affect our everyday lives, and we try and bring some nuance and thought to popular discussions. But this particular episode is one of our newer format hot take episodes where we're taking recent news and trying to generalize mm. some interesting thoughts out of a particular news topic and, and hopefully give you perspectives that you add to what you've already read in the news. Yeah. So... Generally, we'll do some definitions and stuff. Start with a little bit of talk around that. I should say that I personally change my opinion a lot on this. Um, and in general. <laughs> and, in, and in general. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about bullying more widely, but then specifically on this and government, it was listening to a podcast called The Rest is Politics and about some people who've worked in government experiences working with difficult civil servants. Mm. That kind of actually made me more sympathetic, but still generally against Rob, but more sympathetic than Jake was, which meant it was kind of a, a conversation that we actually had between us and again was like oh well we'll make an episode of it then mm. totally last bit of intro stuff and then we'll get into it thank you for everyone who's left reviews we're seeing way more come through on apple which is really nice do please leave reviews on any other platforms but thanks to those who have as always if you like what you're listening to share it with your friends etc let me read our most recent review on uh, apple podcast america five stars from El Gordo 666, which means uh, the the fat, the fat person. <laughs> well, thanks, El Gordo. Thanks, El Gordo. Um, one of my favorite podcasts, easily very measured, witty, and fair boys. Uh, we do try to be fair and yeah. witty. Are we all that measured? I don't know. Um, anyway, back to this story. I'll bring my script back up. Oh, and one last thank you. You need to thank the listener who was talking to us on uh, Oh, on, on Facebook. Facebook. Yes. Horrible. They had some recommendations. We'll, we'll mention those at the end. This, this is the, We said we do this at the end. We did that with Gary Lineker once. We'll come back to that. 
Oh yeah. Um, all right. Let's do so that. some interesting context on this. First of all, let's talk a little bit about bullying, right? We should clarify. Technically, Dominic Rob didn't break any laws or break any rules because there's no legal definition of bullying, right? Yes, bullying is generally understood as a pattern of intimidating or offensive behavior that undermines or denigrates the person experiencing it. However, we enter one of those difficult conversations around, well, how do we determine if the basis is how someone is feeling? How do we determine if someone is feeling something a mm. little too easily? Uh -huh. um, we, we come back. I mean, I, I, I'm loath to side on the side of Jacob Rees-Mogg, but you know, <laughs> is there an argument that, you know, some people are too, what am I trying to say? Sensitive? Too sensitive. Yes, uh -huh. that's it. There was a good, uh, weirdly Stephen Fry quote around people being offended around jokes. It's something to the effect of like, it's your responsibility to control how you feel about things, not other people's to, I mean, obviously there are limits to that. You, it doesn't mean you go around swearing at people. And stuff. <laughs> um, but, no, it's your problem. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason I mention that is just because we'll mention some of the specifics from the report. And obviously the report in reality is going to be a watered down version of the truth. But we'll, we'll look at some of the specifics and you, if like me, you might be a little bit like, oh, well, is it workplace appropriate? Maybe not 100%. Like, is it like, oh, this guy needs to go? <laughs> like, we'll talk about bullying more generally as a concept, but can you talk about some of the specifics of the, the Rob report? Totally. Yeah, let's give you the context now so you guys can appraise it yourselves as you listen, but then we'll get into the definition. So the definition will become more apparent yeah. as we discuss. So Dominic Rob, he resigned, well, once this comes out, he resigned at some point in the recent past after a bullying report by Adam Tolley was published. And some specific examples of Rob's behavior highlighted in the report include the following. Insulting officials by making, quote, unconstructive critical comments unquote, about their work. Staff experienced significant negative impacts on their psychological well-being after coming into contact with Rob. I like that makes him sound like a virus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I'm amazed for a specific report, which is the basis for him mm. leaving. That is so vague. It's so quite vague, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Another one, pressing repeatedly to identify the very junior official responsible for a relatively minor issue and then ordering a more senior staff member to deliver a personal apology. So that sounds like kind of instigating a culture of blame. And being yes. Like, Find the person. I want their head. Yeah. And, um, um, flip side, to make that reasonable, if a piece of work is done unsatisfactorily, it arguably may be appropriate to mm -hmm. be like, hey, wait, how did this happen? We should identify that, right? Mm -hmm. It's about whether the aim is to stop it happening again. Yeah. Right? It's one of those tricky things where tone probably matters immensely mm, for the experience mm. because you could imagine and a civil being... service report is not going to convey tone. <laughs> not going to convey tone. You know, you could imagine this being done empathetically. Like, look, we want to be hot on the details. Let's find out where this went wrong so that we can work on it. Or you could be like, who the fuck did this? <laughs> like, I want this person. And you know, yeah. tone is is probably fairly key to this whole thing. That won't necessarily come across from this. Final example from the report for you guys: demanding a meeting with a policy official. Quote, for the sole purpose of criticizing them for their team's failure to deliver a submission on time, end quote, despite there being no underlying urgency for the submission. Okay, so this is interesting, this one as well. Again, let me argue the other side, right? Quote, unquote, despite there being no underlying urgency. Okay, it's a little bit annoying. We've all had bosses before who've asked us to do something and, you know, maybe you disagree with the timeline. But, you know, having now also sat on the other end of that, sometimes it's like, look, man, I don't know when I'm going to be free in the next week. So I need it done at some point that, that I can check it this week. And also, you know, maybe the thing that you don't say, but you're thinking is I might send this back to you. So I need some buffer time <laughs> in case this isn't done acceptably. So I kind of don't agree with the, how can something not be done on time? And at the same time, have no underlying urgency. The urgency is that your boss has told you there is a timeline for this to be done in. And it is and ultimately it's, his yeah. prerogative, right? 
or her. That's uh, like, that was actually genuine. So right, I was in this right, case. right. <laughs> I was like, I got you. <laughs> Not this time. Yeah, and I think there was a there was another one. It was it, it was something about him describing something as like woeful. woeful and utterly useless. And again, that was one that kind of gave me pause. Where it was like, is that my management style? Do like, is it workplace appropriate? I think in the stricter sense, clearly no. Mm. But being practical. The other thing that you have to take into this is the kind of like, if we're being real people, like imagine we're talking about this at the pub, we're talking about civil servants. We're talking about bureaucrats mm. who in every country in the world have a reputation for slowing things down, slowing things down right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people have, one of the things that was mentioned in this podcast, I was saying that changed my perspective on this a bit, was experiences of people either because they disagreed with it or just because they were not that fussed and you couldn't really get rid of them. And this is the other thing. I don't know how much power Rob has to move civil servants around or get rid of the civil servants, right? Mm. Uh, like we have the power to, you know, ultimately, some, you know, if someone's not working, we can do something about their continued job mm -hmm. with the company. Uh, we, but, we can find them as yes. well. <laughs> I don't know why I was being around the bush here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, don't, I don't know how much he has the power to do that. I am sure, you know, this is just assumption, but I'm fairly sure it must be a thing like there'll be months of like, oh, well, they need several written complaints and then like they need it to be ratified by another silver servant and then uh, all this stuff, right? In reality, like, yeah, you, you probably tons of red tape. Did the podcast give any indication of that, like the one that you were listening to? His specific case? Yeah. Well, the problem is... Well, not, not his case, but in general, because I, I looked yes. into it and it's definitely... Oh, well, while it's easy very, to fire. Well, while it's very difficult to fire them, you can basically just move them to other departments. But again, there's probably really limits. You know, though, I've right? not been in there and I don't yeah. know how quick and how I'm, bureaucratic yeah. that process is. I'm going to give you my reading between the lines super quickly, just high at this point in the conversation. Probably they're being a little overly sensitive, a little bit difficult, probably just not doing very good work, etc. However, also on the other hand, recent Tory ministers and particularly Dominic Raab mm -hmm. are getting this so consistently from every ministry they're working in. And I don't don't want to just lean on the no smoke without fire but clearly like behaving in a way that's like whilst not strictly illegal it looks like he's probably stepping across the line a fair bit fairly often i'd imagine it could yeah. be one of those scenarios that self-perpetuates as well yes right? like once rob gets a bit of a reputation for being difficult civil servants probably approach him with more reticence yes make his life harder and exactly and, and also we're probably more afraid to speak up and that leads to bad decisions being made etc yeah it's mm. it's a difficult one so quickly on the on the culture that exists two right. or three people recently who have had these accusations jake oh i was just going to say one what? final bit of thing on rob so once this report came out he did resign because quote as a man of his word he said he would if the investigation found him guilty of bullying yeah. so he said he cooperated fully he improved his behavior apparently since the since the investigation started <laughs> because he was obviously being investigated however he did offer no apology for the bullying and he accepted no wrongdoing he was just like fine the reporters found this to be the case i don't agree but i said i'd go so yeah i said go. i'd go if it's found uh, that and he does say uh which is the defense you were just kind of repeating there yeah. the civil service is undermined by very activist civil servants trying to block government and that was his big frustration yeah so some recent examples of other people john burkow the speaker if you're american you may have seen the videos of him going oh, oh, <laughs> um, the other one was pretty patel former home secretary was found to have bullied civil servants but the then prime minister actually defended her another Another bit of context, particularly for Americans or people who aren't that politically engaged. Rishi Sunak, part of his whole platform is, he's the current prime minister. Oh, you know, I'm going to bring, basically, bring order. <laughs> Between the lines, like, there's going to be some professionalism, finally, after two or three 
terrible prime ministers in a row, including obviously Boris Johnson, who like, in simple terms, I actually don't mean this as an exaggeration, kind of like an English Trump in that like, he's a bit of a joke. He kind of undermines like serious corruption, undermines respect and trust for politicians. So this is for him, this was a very good example of like, I can't be seen to not be doing this because it's very unprofessional. And then the other thing was specific to how Rob dealt with it. He was given a few hours to basically put out his message before the report was put out, which meant that people, basically, he had the leading narrative because he had the first move in media saying, like, basically, a bunch of snowflake civil servants have pushed me out. Like, mm. whatever, mate. It's funny that stuff like that happens because one of the key words you said there was culture. And clearly that's what's going on now is, like, Rishi is trying to, like, clean up the culture, clean up the culture make it more professional. Which, which means that something like this, which maybe, you know, if you weren't in a wider culture of, like, oh, bullying seems to be a big issue here, and you weren't in a cult of like, a, I need to show I'm making moves to correct. Maybe you could have like worked this out with the minister. But right? even then, even then the fact that he's let Rob resign rather than being like, you're fired. Like, yeah, why is that, that sets a weird cultural precedent? But it does link to, you've watched The Thick of It. I know. Yeah. For listeners who haven't, The Thick of It is a brilliant like British sort of political satire show. Yeah. Um, uh, ironically, one of the meanest characters, funniest and meanest characters in that show, who is a bully <laughs> in a very funny way, is actually based on one of the hosts in the rest of his, his politics podcast. Yeah. So that's Malcolm Tucker, played yeah. by Peter Cavalli, based yeah. on Alistair, Alistair Cameron, who is basically Tony Blair's spin doctor. Mm. And in the very opening episode of The Thick of It, they have this example, which is so similar to this, where the guy goes in and he's like, you need to sign your resignation letter. He's like, but I haven't written one. And he's mm. like, that's fine. I've written it for you. We all know how this game works. You're going to resign. You're going to say, yeah, yeah, sorry for my mistakes. You're going to lie low for a while. And then eventually you'll get put in another position. You'll get a nice pay rise. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Basically get which on is, with well, it. Well, that, that's basically yeah. I think a lot of it is like a kind of quiet pact between them where it's like, the best I can do for you now is that you resign and I don't fire you. And I give you a head start on the media. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised. Well, if not for the fact that it's quite likely that they'll be out of government in a year, it's quite likely that the left party takes control in the next year or so. But he would take another even before then he may take another ministerial seat mm-hmm. actually the seat he was covering justice i believe he was for the second time while he was in senior cabinet positions and we've had 11 justice ministers in the last 10 years i think yeah and he, so was, two, like, he was two of them it's so almost like being a football manager now yes. yeah honestly <laughs> like how can you get anything done so sorry jake i kind of gave my hot take my hot take was mm. look if we're being real, we know the stereotypes of bureaucrats. Obviously, you shouldn't stereotype, but generally stereotypes are based on something. You know, it makes sense having worked in medium size and uh, smaller places and, and seen them at least. Like, you see how bureaucracy works. I imagine putting myself in the position I could see working with civil servants being extremely frustrating. Mm-hmm. However, clearly, again, no smoke without fire. He's getting this so consistently. And also, you know what? Maybe that's an indication that you shouldn't be a minister if you can't work within that bureaucracy. Like that, I'm not interested in being a minister because I know I would be bad in that bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. My hot take is more on the look, more than Jake, I think. I'm a little sympathetic to Rob. I think a little bit of the right-wing perspective that bureaucrats are probably a bit obstructive, maybe intentionally obstructive, but then also just the kind of people you get in those positions are... Mm. I feel like people are understanding what I'm saying. However, he clearly was problematic and clearly had to go. And there was a bunch of cultural reasons wider in the party that like he should have been fired actually, mm-hmm. to make a point of like, hey, look, we're going to be adults and we're going to get rid of someone who's... Yeah, Jake, what's your hot take? <laughs> I love that you're like, everyone knows my hot take. But... <laughs> Long preamble. But no, I... This is interesting. Uh, a few things to say. We... This uh, so often happens with us that we'll sort of discuss this and we'll come from quite opposite positions. Then actually over time, I feel like we, we kind of convert. <laughs> Not swap so much as converge. One of the things that's interesting in the Rob case and the, and the civil service case and context that's useful for you listeners who aren't already familiar with this is Ant and I run a company together. I think the thing that makes this very interesting 
happening is there's a management power dynamic. It wouldn't be as interesting if Rob was bullying people on his level, although the ambassador thing was kind of funny because Reese Mogg's argument was like, you know, this guy's supposed to be on a level with Rob. He should be able to hold his own and he didn't. However, the key thing here is Rob is managing these people and he's intimidating them. And that's that I think is one of those things where the problem is it creates a culture that's not cohesive to doing work because then people can't tell you the truth because they're scared of you. Exactly. Culture is the big word. Because Here's here's a, a funny example. Sorry to interrupt. I remember I was reading something about Putin and basically they were making the argument that like Putin genuinely doesn't know what's going on in the world mm-hmm. because he doesn't read like mainstream news because you know he doesn't want to have any phones or anything like that mm-hmm. or be given outside stuff and then everyone he's surrounded by is so scared of him they're afraid to tell him bad news so they kind of have to keep up this narrative there is a possibility that he actually genuinely believes that like Ukrainians want to be an you know some number do but mm. Is that true? I don't know. But, you know, he might genuinely believe that what he's doing, given the information he has, is actually not terrible. Jesus, he's going to freak out when he hears about AI. Yeah. <laughs> Are we still winning the yeah. nuclear war, guys? <laughs> That's a, a little extreme, but um, so also, yeah. before we go to the ad break, actually, it might be nice to tell the little Bartleby anecdote. Can we do that now? Yeah, yeah. okay. Let's and then we'll go for an ad break. And, and sorry, just oh, wait, the, did you finish your hot break? Let hot me take? finish my hot take. was just to say, I have some sympathy because we are in a position of management, but I think then that puts a lot of responsibility on you as a manager to set an appropriate culture. And it seems to me yeah. from everything I've read that Rob just kind of yeah. hasn't really taken much responsibility for that no. or has acted in a way that maybe was sort of permitted or, or like under the yeah. sort of reign of Boris when everything was a bit chaotic. Yeah. He was just like, I'm going to explode. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to behave in ways yeah. that like, are problematic. I don't have that much sympathy, but I have more sympathy than when we first discussed this. Yeah. And to be fair, I think this also speaks a little bit. You said about culture fit, creating the right culture. Mm. You have to remember as well, even with a manager, sometimes it's like, is a manager the right fit for the culture of the place? One of the things I said, I'd never want to be a minister because I don't want to work with the civil service because I don't work with large bureaucratic institutions. I don't work well with them, right? And it speaks to part of the issue of politics today where you have this dual problem of like, the person who gets elected is not necessarily the person who's a good politician, right? Actually, a good minister is probably someone who would also make an excellent civil servant. Mm. There's an amazing Douglas Adams quote, which goes along the lines of, all too often, it's the people who most seek positions of power that are those least suited to them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's really just a rephrasing of Plato. But yes, what did Plato say? Something to that extent, when he's like creating his ideal thing in, oh my God, what's the name of his? The Republic. The Republic. When he's um, talking about the Republic, yeah, one of the things that's like virtuous people and one of the things about being virtuous is that you don't seek, you know, you're virtuous for the right reasons. You don't, you're, not some, you're not seeking power. That probably was an inspiration. Yeah. Jake, well, I guess it's just to highlight our anecdote, or our perspective. Tell us a little bit about the story Bartleby. I will, I will. This is a good thought experiment. So the key thing we're looking at here is what's the line between sort of bullying and strong management and how do you deal with insubordination and resistance? And Bartleby was by Herman Melville, who's the guy who wrote Moby Dick. It's called, full title, Bartleby the Scrivener, A Story of Wall Street. It was published by Melville in 18. 18- 53. It's actually brilliant. I read it last year and I really, really enjoyed it. I, it's so short, you can read it in like two hours, maybe less if you're faster. The story is narrated by a lawyer who hires a scrivener, a cleric basically, called Bartleby to do copying work in his office. Now, originally, Bartleby's really diligent. He's quiet. He keeps his head done. He gets stuff done. The lawyer's kind of impressed. And then at some point, he asks him to perform a task outside of his usual duties. I can't remember what it is. And Bartleby simply replies, I would prefer not to. And that line kind of becomes his refrain and this like symbol of sort of passive resistance and and it becomes more pronounced because the lawyer sort of 
asked him other things and he says, I would prefer not to. And then he stops working. The lawyer's like, are you going to do your work? Have you done anything today? He's like, no, I would prefer not to. And it becomes ridiculous the degree to this, to the point that like the lawyer ends up having to move out of the office and get someone new because Bartleby just like squats there and refuses to leave. And it goes on and on and on. And I, I don't want to spoil the end of the story. So it, actually, I won't. It's got really interesting themes about basically the alienation of the individual in an era of modern capitalism, modern being 1853. Could you highlight that? I can expand on that. That's basically saying someone like Bartleby will be it reveals later in the story he doesn't have any friends or family or anything else mm. he is the epitome of like the cog in the machine and he's just there kind of getting on with things and getting more depressed and then the end is just like but so this so him being i would prefer not to is his way of basically capitulating to all that pressure it's his last form of resistance it seems to be the message so the other theme is the limits of human agency in the face of an oppressive system okay Bartleby kind of like is going along until one day he's just like no and then he's just like yeah, and so like like the cog in the machine, he actually gets stuck yeah. rather than being able to be taken out and like, oh, this isn't a cog, this is a well-formed human being. <laughs> exactly. It's a sad story. It's a very sad story. Yeah. But in this case, it's, it, it relates interestingly to the Rob thing because Barkleby, I guess, could be seen as the epitomy of <laughs> like, of resistance. Yeah, and yeah. a sort of civil servant blocking yeah. things in. You know what? I also, I read something. This is funny. Sorry, guys, this is TikTok nonsense, but someone posted some video mm -hmm. where it was like, Apparently, the CIA has like a guide on how to obstruct large uh, bureaucratic institutions from the inside because they, obviously they try to get people in, you know, whatever government things and other governments, you know, yeah. things. and it's like call lots of meetings, like um, <laughs> suggest that people check whether work should be done before doing the work and, you know, lots of things like that. And they're like, this is how charities and the government is run is the point of this TikTok uh, video. And like, on the one hand, I was like, a little dubious of stuff that sounds conspiracy theory. On the other hand, I was like, kind of accurate. <laughs> We've seen enough big corporates that we come into contact with where people just behave that way anyway. And that sort of behavior seems to be rewarded because people are exactly. looking busy is actually how people Yeah, judge. looking busy is much more important. And like, I, I have civil servant friends who are like, oh, I'm thinking of going to the private sector. Mm. And uh, what would you do? And so what do you do now? And then they kind of talk for a bit and like, nothing makes sense. And then you, at some point you're like, oh my God, you do nothing. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you you emails around and shuffle paper like sorry this i'm being really negative as you can tell i'm not a big fan of big bureaucratic institutions this is why jake and i run a company of soon to be 20 people exactly the bartleby thing just to look back to that one thing that's really interesting so it's got a classic kind of unreliable narrator if you've read gatsby and other stories yes. and you're sort of familiar with the concept the lawyer in it you obviously only get his perspective and he consistently upholds this image of himself as like i'm a reasonable man and it's funny sort of then watching that be tested by bartleby so like there's times where he shouts there's times where he decides he's just going to ignore bartleby he basically tries every possible tactic he can employ against bartleby's resistance and the whole time it's just like i'm a good man i'm doing the best that i can but it's just yeah endlessly frustrating and it does make you think when you when you read it, like what would be the appropriate sort of recourse in that situation? And I'm not saying that Rob has encountered people literally this extreme, but it's a fun anecdote for the topic, right? It is, it like is. maybe, hey, maybe again, we're not saying he's in the right. We're not using this as proof. Yeah, but like it's a little note to be like, oh, you know, what happens when you are faced with resistance on a level that you don't have the ability much, to change? Yeah, much about. Let's go to a quick ad break, and then we'll come back with some more thoughts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi guys, I'm here at Jake's YouTube. Welcome back. Quick one, we may have mentioned this before in previous episodes. We want, I want to mention the term constructive bullying. This is a bit of a joke in the office because we were talking amongst ourselves once. We were talking about social pressure. I can't remember the specific context. It was someone dying their hair blue. Yeah, which I have no issue with. I just mentioned, it's funny, it all stemmed from this. I was like, oh, but you know, have you thought about what that says? And they're like, it doesn't say anything. And I was like, everything says something. Like, it's saying that you think it doesn't say anything, which actually is saying something. It's kind of meta. It's like, oh, I don't care. It's like, no, it's you actually actively communicating, trying to communicate that you don't care, which is caring because you're communicating <laughs> something. So we were having a discussion and it, and it kind of led to this thing of like people having external pressure on their decision making. And I kind of used the term constructive bullying, which I now realize was ridiculous. Because the Although it stuck as a phrase. It did stick. It's <laughs> an internal joke because I said something that was stupid. The point of that was just that the semantics of bullying, by sheer definition, is that it is too far. But I think it relates a little bit to our ghosting episode, right? Mm -hmm. Where you talked about the psychologist who said, like, you should care about what other people think. The, the it, whole, like, oh, I don't care what other people think. Then the whole comforting thing about that, it's too far. It's a sign of psychological well-being that you're able not just to sort of understand and empathize with what people think, but also to, like, anticipate that. And actually, it's very much human nature to be like, oh, my God, what did I say? How, what does that mean? People think about me and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And, and being able to do that to like multiple levels mm -hmm. is actually a sign of real social intelligence. Uh, that yep. was the psychologist argument yep. in that particular and, episode. And basically that it's not that you shouldn't care about what other people think. It's that you should be able to determine what is not worth caring about and yep. what is worth caring about. How, how much, how much yep. to care. And my point with the constructive bullying was sometimes negative feedback is actually useful. And rather than being obstinate and being like, I don't care what other people think, you know, we should actually take it on board and be like, either, oh, I'm okay with other people thinking that, it doesn't bother me, or hmm, that bothers me. My options are, except that I feel a little uncomfortable about that or change my behavior, which one would I rather do? Or I any mean, there's a spectrum of choices in that regard. I think that segues really nicely to one of the things I wanted to introduce, which uh, maybe calling it philosophy is a bit strong because it's a management philosophy, but it's the concept of radical candor. You can tell Jake Matt has studied management. We're, we're in his realm right now. Oh yeah. So radical candor is from Kim Scott. And I think this, for me, this is the answer or the sort of prescription on how you draw the line between sort of bullying and, and mm. leadership mm. And, and how to behave. She's basically, basically prescribing what Rab should have done. Yeah. So Kim Scott's whole thesis is that it's called radical candor for the reason that honesty can sometimes be disarming. And actually, people are, for the reasons we were just discussing, people can be sensitive and, and sometimes people can be really bad at taking on feedback. But that's where the constructive bullying joke came from, is that actually feedback is important. It's socially valuable. So her thing is, how can you do this in a way that's honest, but useful? Mm. So yeah, because obviously the thing with honest is not all honest is useful, right? Like if you're the classic, you know, trope example is if your wife says, do I look fat in this? Like. <laughs> He's saying yes is not a, is probably never the correct answer. You it's don't not look. You never look. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. There's a degree to which you need to sort of calibrate the honesty. And and she says also it's about how you deliver it, which is we were talking about tone at the beginning of the episode. It's mm. that it's being able to do this in a way that's empathetic, so you care and you challenge. And 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 I think mm. if I'm distilling this correctly, her thing about being honest isn't that you're like in Rob's case, you wouldn't be like this is woeful and utterly useless. You'd go back with like why did you include this? How can this particular thing be useful you, you, mm. i think the point because that's even being too kind i think the point of her thing with being rad the radical part of the candor is 
It's not that you can't say, hey, actually, this work wasn't to an acceptable standard. Oh, you totally but, can say that. Yeah. yeah, but the way that you communicate that is, you know, say, for example, you know, he was pursuing this junior person. He'd be like, maybe you talk to the manager and say, hey, look, I think it actually might be useful that we have a word with whoever produced this. Actually, the work wasn't acceptable. And we need to work out, like, why is this the case? Is the person not capable? Is the person not ideologically aligned? Let's set out some of the options that we have for doing better here. Or if this isn't going to be possible, let's talk about moving them to another department. That would be a non-bullying way of dealing with the same problem. Exactly. And I think all of us in our sort of karma states are able to see that that's like a far better way of dealing with things. But human beings are emotional. Well, I mean, okay, to his credit, and also to the credit of some of the people being bullied, we're talking about extremely high stress situations. So we're talking about the ambassador to Gibraltar, Mm -hmm. which is like on the end of Spain. And we're talking about dealing with Brexit, Mm. right? And so you have Rob, you know, one of the tropes of the Johnson era Brexit (laughs) people was that they they were just asking for nonsense stuff to happen. And so maybe the ambassador is like, this isn't possible. And Rob says, we'll make it happen. Mm. And then the ambassador is like, but one, this is stupid. Two, I can't. You know, one of these things, some mix of them. Um, So there's something there. Exactly. That's radical candor. And I think it sums things up really well. Humans are emotional. So it's it's easy to see why. And in stress situations, like you say, people lose their cool and people shout. But I think all of us and probably you guys, if you're in a calm situation, when mm. you listen to this podcast now, you can see. Oh, yeah. Yep. Obviously, that would be a peripheral yep. style of management. A couple of ones that we can talk about really quickly. One would be Kant and deontology. One of our favorites. Yeah. I mean, we can be super quick on Kant. Like mm-hmm. bullying is a violation of moral law, probably. Because it requires individuals to treat others as ends in themselves. And not just as... Uh, wait, no, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. This must be the other way around. Yeah. Right? His moral law says we should treat others as ends, not merely as means to an end. And bullying yeah. would invert that. Would invert that. Well, it depends on why you're bullying. But if you're bullying because you think it's going to get people to work better, mm-hmm. then yes, you are treating them as means to ends and you are doing something unfair, something we wouldn't say you should do in its own right. You could actually see... One of the things that might make you sympathetic to Rob is a utilitarian perspective where you're like, if you have this view that civil servants are a big bureaucracy... And actually, culture of fear is the only way to get them to do anything. I'm not saying that's true, but if you have that perspective, you could see some argument where it's like, this is the only way to make it happen. I could imagine this stemming from like Johnson made his career in media and newsrooms are famously kind of yeah. running that style. Exactly, and exactly. has been close to I mean, Johnson for a long time. Like we're saying, the thick of it, like that maybe there's a stereotype that you feel like you're living up to and this under- lack of understanding that's not how things are done anymore. And you think this is how I get results. So there could be some genuine misunderstanding there. Maybe I'm not justifying on that basis. I don't agree with it. It explains it rather than justifies it. You could, I mean, I'm trying to think of other examples where, I mean, basically you could kind of have a bit of a Machiavellian perspective where Mm. like, you know, Machiavelli, for those who don't know, wrote The Prince and it was basically advice to people running (laughs) countries, states. He has a lot of things that seem really evil but actually, his whole thing is like, no, no, no. The aim is to maintain order. Similar also with the uh, Chinese political philosopher Shang Yang. It's all about, no, maintaining order ultimately is the most important thing. It's the best for everyone. And actually, sometimes you have to be a terrible person to maintain order. So one of Shang Yang's thing is like, punish people terribly and punish everyone equally. It's radical candor without the empathy. It means well, because ultimately it's like, look, like, we're talking about these people come from times where it's like, if we don't have order and manage our state well, we will be marauded and pillaged and raped. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, being a bit of a mean leader is nothing on the scale of so it's all kind of weirdly coming from a good place i do not mean to kind of justify rob's actions but there's some argument that maybe he's kind of taking this political philosophy and utilitarianism Mm -hmm. and it's like look if my only option because i'm in such an obstinate bureaucratic institution is to be personally horrible to people in order to motivate them to do things for me Mm -hmm. you could justify that is that a fair perspective probably not again i mean as you say these are these are explanations rather than justifications and these kind of literary works have inspired leaders for yeah, you know, centuries. Well, I mean, there's, for example, Chairman Mao had written in his younger years in admiration of Shang Yang. And you could see, I mean, Chinese political philosophy today is a mix of legalism, which is from this guy, and the idea of like, basically, you know, everything is about 
efficacy, the arts, writing, all of these things are wasteful. They are parasitic activities of the elites, which to some extent we can still see in their culture today, although they also have great art as part of their history. And then the other part would be Confucius. Mm. It's kind of contrary to this. So it's kind of a balance of these two things. When you say Confucius is contrary, that's because his approach is more... Uh, Confucianism is more like, oh, family matters, where Shanghai would be very much like family is an incentive against the state, so we should yeah. break up families. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Uh, as an example, but yeah, it's a more human and poetic sort of approach generally. Two other philosophers I'd like to introduce you to finally are Michael Key and Jordan <laughs> This will be in our, uh, we don't really do the newsletter anymore, but it is a very funny sketch. There's a funny sketch. So Key and Peel, obviously comedians, and the relevance here, just to link it in, is you talked about people being in high stress situations. So Rob is you know, basically sort of vice president, not quite, but you know, ex-deputy prime minister under a lot of stress. And this Key and Peel sketch is basically a school bully who's like sort of radically aware of what's going on in his own head. So he like starts the sketch by beating a book out of this other kid's hand. He's like, hey man, why, why'd you do that for? And he's like, I do that because I'm struggling at school and I'm reading to a third grade level even though I'm in sixth grade. And when I see people reading for fun, it really angers me. So then I get mad and I have to act out. And he's like, wow, thanks thanks for opening up to me, man. He's like, don't you dare. <laughs> and <laughs> and his dad thing. arrives and his dad's like, I'm going to drink because you remind me of your mom. And Yeah, it was all, it's all like this kind of funny, uh, radical, radical dander. It's basically like a meta thing where the bully is at the same time explaining as a psychologist would why they are it's bullying. Like super self. Very funny yeah. sketch. Check it out. We've kind of gone through all the content here. I suppose we've done this to some extent already. I'll sum up with my view really quickly and then you know, yep. add anything that you've got. I would say in Rob's defense, context matters. We've talked a lot about like reasons why you could be sympathetic. I think it's it's maybe too easy to just characterize him as a bully and say, that's it because there's stress, there's difficult people, there's all these things. That said, my view kind of remains that the radical candor approach that we brought up is just a more effective way of managing people, or I believe, if not a more effective, at least a more moral way of managing people. And this is a morality podcast after all. And we are managers and we try to live by those principles too. Rob could obviously have moved people around. So given he has that recourse, it seems a little bit unfair to just sort of treat people aggressively when you do have the option of being like, if someone really, really disappoints you to the point that their work is woeful, you could move them. I don't think generally there's that much for an excuse for aggressive behavior, or at least not in the sort of pattern level that you would describe as bullying. There's obviously, you know, people are humans, they're emotional, stuff happens. You can excuse sort of one-off outbursts. But I think the problem with Rob is that this is a pattern. This is a persistent sort of theme of behavior. And I think that's where it's worth calling out. It's not worth making exceptions. The last thing, and we talked about this already, is that, you know, when you're in a position of power, you don't really want to have to lean on intimidation to get things done. That was a sort of style of management and has been probably for centuries. But I think in the modern day and age, it's probably not the way to get things done. And Rishi is visibly cleaning up. There. Yeah. He's cleaning up, but he's been weak there. What would you say, Ant? I think I've said a lot of it before, but I kind of sit in the middle. Like, I have some sympathy because I personally have the bias that I assume that the bureaucratic institutions are probably painful to work with. And mm -hmm. probably you feel like you have no recourse, but ultimately you're right. Like, if you really feel like you can't deal with it, you're probably in the wrong line of work. Mm -hmm. And yeah, ultimately, if you create a culture of fear, probably ultimately it's just going to be less effective and lead to people complaining about you and, and just you're hurting people personally as well. If you take a midterm utilitarian approach, maybe it actually does backfire because like, yeah, yeah. it does reputational damage. Yeah. And it's funny because I want to be understanding and, you know, I want to be like, nope, they're people like you shouldn't be hurting their feelings. But then all I can do is I can think of the person in the thick of Terry. it. Terry. Terry <laughs> in the thick of it. And like the whole joke is that they are so useless. Yeah. Um, like there's, you know, there's stuff like crises come up and they're like, five o'clock, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I've got to get to the grocery shop. <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm being really... Sorry if you're a civil servant. I do respect the work they do. I think it matters, of course. But yeah, I mean, it's probably just not a good fit for him. And also, like I said before, you know, on the flip side, no smoke without fire. He is accused of this so consistently, it's almost certainly true. And more importantly, even if it wasn't actually fair, Rishi was kind of cornered to a position where, purely for optics, he should have taken a stand and fired him just to make a point. Yeah, I actually think that would be my other sort of hot take takeaway is I, I think it's a shame he didn't fire him. I think it's a shame they went through the whole sort of game of like, you get to resign because it means Rob's not going away. Rob will no. be back in some form or other. I think about it. Back. Yeah. Guys, quick one. We have the messages from, sorry, it's a Polish name. It's P-R-Z-E-M-E-K. So Przemek. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you'd say it. Sorry. I think it's Polish. I'm not sure. And he said he really enjoyed it. Left us a voice now, actually. It was great. Yes. Listen to it. But he enjoyed the one about remote work. And he also said he would be interested in hearing about the philosophy of love and also, you mentioned feminism as a topic and gender roles. Mm. What they stay, should they look different in 50 years? I can tell you off the top of my head, I am scared to touch feminism. Two white guys talking about feminism is maybe not a best look. Is it at all interesting for us to parrot the party line? No. Is it worth the personal cost to us to say anything that doesn't agree with the party line? No. <laughs> Sorry to hit on that. I'm conscious of our personal context and the things we are and aren't well suited to speak about. Love is very interesting. Gender roles more generally, I think we could touch that. Gender roles would be interesting because I think it's one of those everyday issues that people are yep. sort of increasingly discussing. Like you said, I mean, we, we just have to be sensitive to our position when we do get into talking about these things. Yes. But guys, that's everything for now. Really great to do this again and look forward to hearing more from you guys. If you are interested in hearing about love, if you're interested in hearing about relationships, if you're interested in us branching out of philosophy into kind of more everyday things and, and management philosophy, management philosophy, <laughs> you know, and maybe business, hearing more about our work, do let us know. Thank you very much, guys. As always, please share, please leave reviews and please send us your feedback.